Kyle Talks is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you want to keep up to date with all my ratings, you can also check out my Letterboxd link in the description. Now, without further ado, here's the review. This episode of Kyle Talks was filmed in the busiest Target parking lot I've ever seen. Um, I just wanted to drive somewhere and get somewhere quiet so I could record these episodes. And usually I record in my car, so I figured, why not go for a drive? But then I was like, you know, this is going to be me reading off a letterboxed list that I've compiled. So, not exactly the safest episode to drive and record. So here I am sitting in an incredibly busy Target parking lot. Um, I felt like it would be kind of fun to do a best and worst of to end out this year because as you know this has been a very very big year for movies a lot of stuff has come out and i've tried to see a lot of movies i mean we've almost reached 100 this year um we're gonna get there very quickly next year so i thought what better way to celebrate the um first year or we started in march so it's not exactly the first year but the ending year of Kyle Talks with uh, the best and worst of. Now, you know, I don't prefer to be super negative on this channel when it comes to how I review movies. So I think what we're going to do is we are just going to do worst five, but best ten. I think that kind of makes the numbers a little bit better. And I do personally think there were a lot more movies I liked this year than movies I hated. And we're going to start with the worst, though, just to get that out of the way. Um, so, number five of the worst, we have Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. Now, you may know from the episode I did on this one that I felt like this movie was very unimpressive. Kind of lame. Um, did not um, go in as deep with the characters as I would have liked. I felt like this movie was very... Surface level, I felt like they could have done a bit better visually in creating the underwater world. Um, I felt like the way they went with the mermaid was kind of lame and kind of too much of being just black and white instead of creating a gray area that's more realistic. I felt like the way the characters talked was kind of annoying, kind of grating. Um, overall, just... Very forgettable, very, um, just by the books, just not as much of a fun time as I would have liked. And I'm more lenient on animated movies, too. So the fact that this one was as bad as it is really shows. Um, number four, we have The Pope's Exorcist. This one stars Russell Crowe. This movie, conceptually, could be a very fun one, um... You have Russell Crowe as this um, exorcist who is appointed by the Vatican to kind of take down the um, worst of the demonic presences. And this seems like it could be fun. It seems like it could be very campy. Um, lean into it a bit more. It doesn't. Um, Russell Crowe gives a fine performance, but um, I kind of wish it leaned more into the goofy side. It has some of the worst child acting I've ever seen in my life. Um, it's painfully unscary. Um, I mentioned in my episode that they 
kind of leaned towards the fact that they were kind of hinting at a sequel. And I said that I never thought that was going to happen. And I guess I have to bite my words because um, I guess it's confirmed that they're making a sequel. So maybe I was the one in the wrong on this one. But also, this whole channel is my opinion. So even if I didn't agree with that totally, I mean, I'm still going to give my opinion at the end of the day. Um, this movie was just painfully unscary. Um, not as cheesy or funny as I would have liked. If it leaned into the campy fun, um, just Russell Crowe killing demons left and right, this would have been an incredibly enjoyable movie. But it's not that kind of movie, and I just left overall very disappointed. Um, number three for the worst, we have The Exorcist Believer. Now, this is going to be a surprise to nobody. Um, The Exorcist Believer is a movie that was universally hated. Um, More people hated it than liked it. Um, This movie is very unscary. You have David Gordon Green as the director, who I am not a big fan of. He is the man responsible for um, the Halloween remakes that came out, which I also think are very bad and very unscary. I think he should lean more to his comedy roots. I don't like that he's been reaching his hand into horror remakes as of lately because, in my personal opinion, none of his are really all that good. Um, But with The Exorcist, you have a remake of what is regarded as one of the scariest movies of all time. Now, whether you agree with that is kind of not really the point. The point is that you have a movie that could be very scary and you just kind of... Never go super far with it. The way they exercise the demons is absolutely pathetic. Um, It kind of takes away all urgency from the main characters trying to exercise the demon. The um, opening, I felt like, was very well done. But um, that in itself kind of didn't really elevate the movie all that much. You have Alan Burstein returning as Chris McNeil. Absolutely wasted in this movie. Her character has practically no relevance to the story and is taken out very quickly um just not scary um i liked the idea that they were gonna have two people being possessed but the way they deal with that in the end was very lame and kind of um made you wonder why is the demon acting this way because the demon essentially had won but then decided to play around with the family a little bit and It honestly doesn't make sense um, from a screenwriting point of view. I just really don't get why they went this way. Um, It had a high potential. I feel like the trailer made it look like it was going to be good. But at the end, it just ended up being one of the worst movies of the year. Uh, Number two, we have Meg to the Trench. This one I was very excited for. I liked the first one a lot. I felt like the first one was campy. It was fun. Um, As a lot of people know, I'm absolutely terrified of sharks. But the first one I wasn't all that scared of. I just felt like it was a good time. I feel like making the shark bigger kind of made the fear go away for me. And they, like, had a superb cast. And you can't go wrong with Jason Statham fighting sharks. You really can't. Like, the first Meg was not one of the best movies of that year, but definitely one of the more enjoyable movies of that year. So I was super excited for this second one. I went with a bunch of friends to celebrate my birthday. I felt like it was going to be a perfect time. And I loved the book, too. I felt like the second Meg book was a lot of fun and really well done. But the problem with the Meg 2 is, in all honesty, not a ton of sharks. They don't lean as campy as they could. 
Um, there aren't as many kills as I would have liked. There's one really cool kill where you have a man's um, undersea mask imploding. That I felt like was really cool. But you don't really reach that level for the rest of the movie. Um, you don't really have a ton of people returning for this one. Um, Jason Statham, I feel like, could have been well done. I mean, I still really like Jason Statham, but um, but in all honesty, like he doesn't reach the levels that he does in the first one. Paige Kennedy returns. I feel like he was a highlight of this movie. He was actually fun. But um, he doesn't do enough to save this movie. They add these like prehistoric dinosaurs almost to this movie that do nothing. They kind of take away from the point of the Meg, in all honesty. Um, the villains in this one are incredibly forgettable. Um, they have the giant squid in this movie where it's like... I get what they're going for, adding more creatures. Leaning more towards the prehistoric side because obviously it's a Megalodon. Um... But at the end of the day, this never reached the levels of the first movie. Um, you don't get the fun that you get in the first movie. It's very hard um, to watch this movie thinking that they could have just focused more on the Meg. The whole time we were watching this movie in the theater, we were like, okay, the movie's called The Meg. Where is the fucking Meg? It never really happens all that much. There's a scene where you get three of them showing up. But, um, you never really reached that level. I was kind of hoping when they went down to the bottom of the ocean and they were walking on the, um, ocean floor with the Meg showing up that the movie was going to reach more of that level. And that scene gets done with very quickly and deals more with, um, terrorists and different creatures. And overall, I just felt like this movie was very disappointing. I had... I wouldn't say high expectations, but I was going in expecting to enjoy it. Because obviously, I'm pretty easy to please when it comes to movies. So that one was a major disappointment. And then the worst movie of 2023, in my opinion, was Strays. This is the animated dog movie where you have Will Ferrell playing a dog. You get Jamie Foxx in there, Will Forte, Isla Fisher, um, Randall Park, um, Josh Gad, a bunch of people in this one. Um... This movie, I don't even really need to explain so much why it's bad. Um, they leaned way too much in poop jokes, leaned way too much with the Red Rocket jokes. Um, painfully unfunny. Um, I mean, it feels bad that the worst movie of the year is the one I have the least to say about because the movie kind of speaks for itself. Um, Will Ferrell is one of those actors where... I know he's a very successful comedian and a lot of people like him, but I feel like I don't like more of his stuff than I like. And then you get this movie, which from the trailer already looked like it was going to be garbage. And it just met my expectations in terms of how bad it was going to be. Um, you get this movie where, um, I don't know, it just felt very childish while at the same time trying way too hard to be adult and way too hard to meet its R rating um I don't know what else to say I feel like the jokes were too obvious um like I don't want to see dog red rockets in theaters I don't want to see that be how they try to escape 
the dog pound, um, way too many poop jokes, like, I'm not a prude when it comes to my humor in movies, but this movie was next level just immature and just stupid, like, in all honesty, like, I haven't heard anybody who says this movie is all that great, um, and I, and honestly, the best thing going for this is the Dennis Quaid cameo and the fact that it has been memorable for all the wrong reasons, in my opinion. Um, this movie just all around just stupid and terrible and, um, Will Ferrell needs to pick better projects because God, this movie was incredibly bad. Okay, now we're done with the negative stuff. Um, let's finally go on to the top 10 of 2023. This is what I really want to talk about. This is, like, 2023, I feel, was actually a very good year for movies. Um, we've been having some good years for movies lately. Obviously, with the strike going on, it kind of hurt some movies that I was very excited about. Like, I could almost guarantee you that if the strikes didn't happen, I would be having... Movies like Dune up on this list, but we'll see next year. I'm still, that's probably the one I'm most hyped for next year, and I don't want to jinx it, but there's a good chance that it's going to be on the list for next year. So let's start with number 10 for 2023. We have Infinity Pool. This is a movie that I had no expectations for. Um, I just went in thinking it was going to be fun. It's directed by Brandon... Um, Cronenberg, he is the son of the incredibly famous and legendary David Cronenberg. He did a movie called Possession that I absolutely loved. So, um, this movie I feel like is him further honing his craft. It's kind of basically, um, the rich where they find out that they can kind of commit whatever crime they want because then they are able to pay a certain amount of money and have a clone of themselves sent to be executed for that crime and instead of them so they can kind of get away with whatever but then also you have um them questioning was the clone the one that got killed or was that the original version of myself that got killed um this movie's very violent very thought-provoking um you have some amazing performances you get alexander skarsgård does absolutely amazing. Mia Goth gives a really fun and crazy performance. Like, this is Harley Quinn levels crazy. Um, this movie is a very fun and interesting concept. Very well done. Um, honestly, it's hard to tell if I think um, Possessor or um, Infinity Pool are the better movie. But he's definitely a director to look out for. He's making amazing stuff. Um, I mean, like father, like son, you know. Um, we have number nine, Past Lives. This one's done by Celine Song. I believe this is Celine Song's directorial debut. And an amazing one to start out with as your first movie. Um, you get this um, misconnection, this misromance between um, these two childhood friends where they separated as kids. And now um, Nora, who is played by Greta Lee is um married and has this different life so it's kind of like past lives what could have been um what could have happened if these certain events in our life did not happen um this movie discusses a lot about love and a lot about like 
what could have been. I really like um, the character Arthur, played by John Magaro, as well as T.O.U., who plays Haesung. Um, this cast is phenomenal. Um, this movie is very heartfelt, very bittersweet. And I really like the outcome with how this movie ends, because I feel like when you see a typical Hollywood picture, you have certain um, expectations when it comes to a love triangle with how things are going to go. And with him being the childhood sweetheart, you expect things to go a different way. And this movie addresses that, too, where Arthur is basically saying how in a different story, he would be like the evil white man who is standing between her and her lost love. I felt like this movie was absolutely incredibly well done. Very well directed. Um, very well written. Um, the chemistry between this cast is absolutely incredible. Um, I would say this movie is definitely one you have to see. Um, Greta Lee and T.O.U. are absolutely phenomenal in this one. Now, number eight, this one is not as art, like emotional of a movie, but this one is emotional in a different way that it is incredibly fun and in a very good time. Number eight, we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant and Mayhem. Now, this one feels weird being on this list. I get it. But, um, I mean, you gotta love this movie. This movie's done in the art style that has become very well known and associated with Into the Spider-Verse. It's very well artistically done. Um, you have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles voiced by people who actually sound like teenagers, which is very rare when it comes to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It doesn't happen a ton. It's very refreshing. I feel like the dialogue, you can tell that they improv some. You can tell that the cast got to know each other because the dialogue flows naturally. These feel like real characters who have been put into New York. Uh, the movie visually looks phenomenal. Um, the All around the cast is very fun. You have a villain played by Ice Cube who is a lot of fun to watch. But also this cast is absolutely stacked when it comes to stars in it. I mean, John Cena, Seth Rogen, like Rose Byrne, Giancarlo Esposito, Jackie Chan... Paul Rudd, Post Malone, Hannibal Burris. I think Mr. Beast, honestly, is even in this movie. And, I mean, those are even the people not playing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, I mean, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cast, I gotta give props to, like, Mika Abbey, Shimon Brown Jr., Nicholas Contum, Brady Noon, because they do an amazing job as these Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They all feel completely distinct from each other. Um... They have a very good bond. Um, the action scenes are very well done. There's a scene towards the middle of the movie where they are taking down, like, these mob bosses. And the way they filmed it, combined with the music in the background, is something I will not forget. And also, the way this movie shows how the Ninja Turtles slowly grow to be accepted by New York and how the city um, kind of bands together and helps them in the fight... Is very inspirational. Um, this movie overall, incredibly fun. I loved this movie. Um, in in all honesty, like I wouldn't necessarily say I grew up with the Teen Ninja, Ninja Turtles, but I think they are a lot of fun. Um, this movie honestly might be my favorite uh, Ninja Turtles movie. Um, yeah, I would say probably is. Um, 
So number seven, we have Evil Dead Rise. Um, I can't talk enough about how big of a fan of Evil Dead I am. It's one of my favorite horror movie franchises ever. Um, obviously, the Sam Raimi movies will always have my heart. Obviously, Bruce Campbell, I think, is one of the best parts of the Evil Dead movies. But also, Evil Dead is one of those franchises where I personally don't think they've ever had a bad movie. Like, the um, original trilogy with um, Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi are amazing. Then you have the 2013 remake, which does something very different and is much darker and more serious and... Um, more realistic violence done in that one. I feel like that one's very well done. Um, very scary, very well acted. I really like that one. And then you have the TV show, which kind of returns back to the campiness, and you see an older Bruce Campbell. That one's very fun. Um, I really enjoyed that one. That's actually one I still need to finish. I need to get back on that one soon, because I really, really enjoyed what I've seen of that one. And then Evil Dead Rise, the newest one that came out this year. Um, this one has the darker feeling of the 2013 ones, while also kind of doing a little bit more of the campy um, feel when it comes to the old ones. There are certain scenes like a certain eyeball popping out and shooting into somebody's mouth that felt like they belonged in the original movies. Um this movie, you can tell Lee Cronin, the director, had a lot of love for the franchise. I liked how they brought the lore from Army of Darkness with the books and made that be the explanation for why um, the new book was in this one. Um, this one's very interesting in the fact that it doesn't take place in a cabin and there's kids involved in this one, which kind of makes the stakes a bit higher. Um, this may sound morbid, but I like the fact that they put all of these... Um, kids into this situation i like that they raise the stakes with this one it makes it feel a lot more violent and um dare i say a little bit more fun um Alyssa sutherland gives quite possibly in my opinion one of the best performances in the entire franchise as the character of ellie and the character of the deadite that she's playing um honestly incredible performance work um just the way her body moves and the way the character acts brings me, also brings me back to the way the original franchise is and just makes your character terrifying and a lot of fun to watch. And Willie Sullivan as Beth is a really good, um, like, final protagonist when it comes to this movie. And also, fun fact, Willie Sullivan follows me on Twitter, so that is definitely going to give her major, um, boost in my eyes as well um but no i can't give enough praise for Alyssa sutherland like honestly no joke one of the best parts of the franchise entirely um this movie's very bloody which you gotta love from an evil dead movie a lot of insane violent kills and a lot of like um like violent scenes as well like i feel like people are always going to talk about the cheese grater to the thigh um we get, um, like, the tattoo gun to the face. We get somebody eating glass. Like, um, I mean, I'm not going to talk more about it. Um, I would say definitely go see this one. This one is so much fun. Um, especially if you're a horror fan. Like, this movie is so much fun.
Um, now let's go on to number six, another horror movie. This one really stood out for me. This is another one in a franchise that I adore. But also a franchise that I feel like isn't as consistent as Evil Dead is when it comes to excellence. Um, we have Saw X. Now I understand that a lot of the Saw movies kind of waver in quality a little bit. And I do agree that some are much better than others. Um, I feel like lately the Saw movies haven't been as good. Which is what makes Saw X stand out even more. With Saw X, you have um, the first time that John Kramer, Jigsaw himself, is actually the main character. This movie makes the stakes a lot more personal. People are going to ask, why is Jigsaw in this and he died in the third movie? And yes, he did. Which is why this movie takes place between um, one and two. Um, this movie... You get John Kramer, you deal more with his um, cancer diagnosis, you deal with him trying to seek out treatment, which brings him to Mexico. He is going through this medical procedure, and it turns out everybody who's been working on him and operating on him hasn't really been doing anything. They've been stealing money from people who are helpless and people who are in need of medical care that will save their lives. They've been taking advantage of these innocent people, and because of this... You honestly don't feel bad when they're put in these traps. There are some really fun traps in this one. You get, um, the most memorable, obviously, is the one in the poster with the tubes attached to the man's eyes and the device attached to each of his fingers. Um, you get a trap that is very reminiscent in my eyes to the trap that that man was put in that close shut on his face that had all those spikes in it. But this time there's heated coils where he has to do brain surgery on himself. That one, in my opinion, is one of the more violent traps in the franchise. But um, also, you get phenomenal acting from Tobin Bell. Like, Tobin Bell gives a career-high performance in this movie. I mean, like, the fact that he has been acting for this long and been in this franchise so long and he still had this much in him, like, honestly, incredibly performant. Um, impressive. And also you have Shawnee Smith returning as Amanda Young. Um, people update on the wig. I do get that it's goofy. I know that what they were trying to go for with making her look more like she belonged in the time frame of the first two movies. Um, but honestly, I didn't really care that much. I liked that they touched more on the relationship between John and Amanda. Um, you could see how much they cared for each other. I liked that they gave the moments... Or it's just them talking where they went away from the trash for a little bit. Um, I think that they gave that levity to those characters. I mean, obviously, both of those characters are terrible people in what they do. But um, this movie kind of made it where you always hear John talking about how he isn't a monster or whatever. Um, he still is, but this movie definitely painted him in a lighter way where... The people he was putting through these traps are the true monsters. They do absolutely horrendous stuff. Throughout this movie, you were like, oh, go ahead, put that person in the trap. That person totally deserves it. They've been doing terrible things. And also, this movie, I feel like, has a very memorable end trap with the bloodboarding, where John gets put in a trap with a, a younger boy. Um, that definitely raises the stakes, because... And if my memory serves me correct, I don't think we've ever had somebody young in a trap before. And obviously, um, Jigsaw has never been put on a trap either. And this movie also has an incredibly hateable character of Cecilia. Um, incredibly dislikable. And the whole movie, I was just waiting for her 
to get what she deserves. And I guess you're going to have to watch the movie to find out what actually happens to her. But this movie, to me, was one of the best movies in the Saw franchise. Um, it either fits in um, the top three, maybe, for me in terms of Saw movies. Um, so now we've reached the top five of 2023. So number five, we have Nimona. This movie's a Netflix movie. Um, this one I know is based on a book or a comic book, I think, or a graphic novel that um, I've been wanting to read for a while. I've heard it's a little different than the um, than the movie, but still, like uh, this movie sparked my interest. Um, it's basically there's this knight, and he is framed for a crime for the murder of the queen, and there is this shape shifting teenager, Nimona. And she's going out to um, kind of prove his innocence a little bit. This movie's a lot of fun. Um, you get Chloe Grace Moretz. She plays this character perfectly. A lot of energy. Um, a lot of emotion comes with this character. The character of Nimona is a very sad character. Um, I liked how deep they touched in on her backstory. And her feeling of being unwanted. Um... This movie goes into darker topics when it comes to um, when it comes to depression and suicidal thoughts. And then you also have Riza Ahmed, who is playing uh, the character of Ballister, the knight. Um, I feel like these two were a very great combo. Um, you get the more serious character, the more um, energetic and um, like scrappy character with Nimona. Um, very good combo. And also you start to see more similarities with the character because Ballister is also starting to be rejected from society and rejected from the love of his life, um, Ambrosius, um, Goldenloin, because of what he's been accused of. So they're starting to find some common ground there and slowly they start to build a connection as close friends. And, um, this movie was a major surprise for me. It's something I just randomly turned on one night. And, um, once I turned it on, my eyes were glued to the screen. This one is, um, very well done, very amazing, very well voice acted. Um, the story is one of the best of the year. Um, and I mean, it makes me want to... Like I said earlier, it makes me want to go out and read the graphic novel. Um, yeah, I really, really like Nimona. I would definitely recommend people go and see it. Um, that's number five. Number four, we have John Wick Chapter 4. Um, a, suiting, a suitable movie for number four. Um, John Wick is a franchise that's been going on for a while. It's constantly um, improving upon itself. Each movie... Um, you're thinking, how can they make an action scene better? And they do it with John Wick Chapter 4. Um, this movie is pretty long for an action movie. Um, I believe it's the longest movie of the franchise. And uh, Keanu Reeves definitely has something to prove with this one. Because uh, they knock it out of the park. The amount of uncut action scenes in this movie are amazing. You get a um, top-down scene that looks like it's straight out of a video game. Where he is just blasting people with a um, with a rigged shotgun, and um, that is incredible. Um, he gets very creative with all of his kills. 
Um, the supporting cast in this one is absolutely phenomenal. We get Bill Skarsgård plays an amazing villain. You get Donnie Yen in this, who is... Um, he's like John Wick, but he's blind, so he gets more creative when it comes to his kills. Um, you get... Um, Hiroyuki Sanada, who is always phenomenal, especially when it comes to um, his swordsmanship. And you get Scott Adkins, too, who I know they've been trying to get in this franchise for a while. And he is somebody who really stands out in terms of his martial arts. And obviously the returning cast are there as well. But this movie, to me, is up there as one of the best John Wick movies, in all honesty. Um, this one, you get a very pissed-off John Wick, who is... Um, fighting for something to prove like each time these movies have been personal for him but um this time like he is just ultra pissed off um the stakes are very high obviously um with this being one of the last ones you um know that the stakes are going to be extra high because he each time is fighting to the death um I know action movies aren't for everybody, but John Wick is, like, next level. Um, these movies are going to be remembered as the best of the best when it comes to action movies. And just so incredibly memorable. And Keanu Reeves, in all honesty, has cemented himself as one of the best action movie stars of all time. And number three, we have Godzilla Minus One. Godzilla Minus One, I absolutely adored this is one of my favorite versions of Godzilla that I've seen in a very long time. Um, this version of Godzilla is just painfully mean, painfully aggressive. Uh, this Godzilla just doesn't care about people at all. Now, there are some iterations of Godzilla where you can see him more as a helper to humanity. And there are some versions where you see him as the destruction of humanity. This one definitely leans more towards destruction. Uh, this version of Godzilla is out for blood. Um, this version of Godzilla, I believe, has quite possibly one of the coolest forms of atomic breath ever. You get the spines popping out of his back. Obviously, they're going blue. You get a blast from the mouth. Then you get an atomic mushroom plume. And then you get the shock wave coming back. And just doing absolute, like, annihilation. Just total destruction to everything in Godzilla's wake. Um, this version of Godzilla is absolutely terrifying. An absolute menace. Um, but we also can't just talk about um, Godzilla. I mean, the human cast in this one is possibly some of the best that I have seen in a very, very long time. Godzilla movies, usually a lot of times, you'll be watching them and you'll be thinking, um, okay, we want you to get off the screen. Like, what are you doing with um, Godzilla um, not showing up as much? Why are these um, humans always showing up so much on the screen? You know, we want more Godzilla. And obviously this movie has more humans than Godzilla in it. But I didn't care because I cared so much about this cast. I mean, you have Shikishima, who is this um, kamikaze pilot. Like a failed kamikaze pilot. He returned from the war, which is something you're absolutely not supposed to do as a kamikaze pilot. And he is dealing with this immense guilt 
from failing in his mind to do his duty. And you get a bit of a time passage where he um, accept the, accepts this woman into his life who was given this child um, before the parents died. And she is taking care of them and they slowly form this family together. Now, none of them are actually in a relationship. The um, child obviously isn't theirs, but they form essentially what is a family. And you have um, Shikishima who is looking for work and he finds it at this very dangerous job where they go around on the ship and they look for these um, mines in the water. And it's their job to destroy these mines. And in doing so, he meets this other group of people who um, are on his crew with him. And they're all very memorable. You have the younger character who um, is constantly um, wanting to go to war. You have the captain. And you have um, the, um, the doctor, like the scientist guy. Um, they're all very memorable. They're all very likable. They're all characters you do not want to die. Um, I really liked the ragtag feel, and I really liked um, how you could tell they all cared about each other that much. And it makes the stakes when it comes to Godzilla all that much higher because you actually care if these people are going to get hurt. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the story was great. The um, characters were great. All around very memorable. And Godzilla is at the scariest and most threatening he's ever been. Um, let's talk about the director real quick. We have Takashi Yamazaki. Um, Takashi Yamazaki not only directed and wrote this movie, but he also helped work with the special effects. And that is incredibly impressive. Um, this Godzilla looks amazing. Um, this Godzilla looks more like the older Godzilla. It looks more like... Um, dog-like features, which you can really see the inspiration. Um, like I mentioned earlier, when you see the cities getting blasted by the shockwaves and the atomic mushroom plume, um, they all look phenomenal. There's many scenes where you see Godzilla swimming underwater. They look insane how good they look. Um, yeah, no, I can't give enough praise to uh, Takashi Yamazaki. Like, this movie up there is one of the best Godzilla movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, can't give enough praise when it comes to that. Like, he went above and beyond in terms of, um, making this movie. Like, I'm not gonna forget about this Godzilla movie for a very long time. Uh, number two, we have Killers of the Flower Moon. This movie is directed by Martin Scorsese. Obviously, his body of work speaks for itself. But this movie is also about a part of history that I feel like not as many people know about as they should. Um... This movie talks about the Osage Nation. Um, in the 1920s, they were some of the richest people in the world because they had oil on their land. And um, it was not very liked by the white man because obviously the Osage were Native Americans. And they were seen as less than by a lot of white people at the time. And because of this, a lot of them mysteriously ended up murdered. So it started this huge... FBI investigation, this huge, um, like, look into what, I mean, obviously they knew why this was happening, but who was doing this? Now, the book, which I have read, um, and also it's a very good read, it's a bit more like a history book, so I feel like, um, 
it can be a bit harder to read sometimes because of how often facts are just flying and stats are just flying at your face. But very good, very interesting read. Um, a part of history I feel like a lot of people should know. But um, the book um, isn't as clear in the beginning with who the main mastermind is. And um, they kind of build up to it a bit more. This movie does it a little bit differently where they kind of reveal almost at the very beginning who's behind it. And then the movie kind of is still involving the investigation and stuff. But you are seeing it. A bit from a different perspective. Um, I've heard the movie called out a little bit for this because obviously with Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro kind of being more of the main characters, you're taking this um, native story and telling it more from a white perspective. I totally understand why that could be controversial. I feel like they do put a lot of care and a lot of... Um, thought behind telling this story but obviously as a white man I can't fully speak for what was appropriate and what was not appropriate but what I do know is I feel like this story was very well done and doesn't do any point in making Ernest Burkhart or William Hale out to be good people that's all I can say on it obviously as a white man I can't fully say if they did justice towards the story or not but um I do feel like it was very well done, very informative. Um, this movie is over three hours long. I didn't feel bored the entire time. Um, you feel incredible emotion with these characters. Um, Lily Gladstone gives quite possibly one of my favorite performances of the year is Molly Burkhart. Um, she does a very, very good job. Um, very emotional performance. Um, this movie, I mean, obviously from its subject matter, is very sad. I will say if you are a bit squeamish when it comes to violence, this is not the type of movie to go and see. Um, but no, I felt like this movie was phenomenal. It's a movie I'd been looking forward to a while. Um, and I read the book right before then, so it kind of brought me in with another perspective. But um, great acting all around. Robert De Niro's character... Um, William Hale, I mean, in real life, terrible man, and Robert De Niro does justice to making that character just as hateable. And Jesse Plemons, while not in the movie a ton, I mean, you also can't go wrong with Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons always does a good job when it comes to his acting. Um, so number one, the movie you guys have all been waiting for, we have one of the newer movies to come out this year. One of my, um... Like, one of the ones I talked about fairly recently, we have Poor Things. Uh, this might be recency bias, it might change in the future, but I absolutely adored this movie. As you may know, it is the only 10 out of 10 I gave this year. Um, this movie is by Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos Lanthimos always does a phenomenal job when it comes to the movies that he's made. Um, but this one is, in my opinion, next level. I really like the world they created. This world is completely fantastical. And um, the set designs are very well done. Um, Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, Rami Youssef um, give amazing performances. Uh, this movie could not have been an easy movie to make. Um, just give absolutely incredible performances. Um, this movie does a very great job going through the steps of life and 
slowly evolving Emma Stone's character from more naive to somebody who's more confident about herself and somebody who is more intelligent and um, more mature and somebody takes who takes more urgency in her life. Um, this cast was great. Um, this is one of the best Mark Ruffalo performances I've ever seen. It's the type of role he doesn't usually take. So I found that very, very refreshing that this is the way he was doing this performance. Um, Willem Dafoe always does a good job. You'll never hear me speak bad about Willem Dafoe. Um, but, I mean, this movie is definitely not one I'm going to forget about. I hope it's nominated for Best Picture this year. I really hope. But also, it's a movie that's more out there, so I could totally understand why some people might look the other way when it comes to this movie. Um, but this movie also is very sexual, um, and I feel like a lot of people might vilify that. This movie doesn't do that. This movie um, comes at it from a more empowering perspective, a uh, more feminist perspective. She is in control of her body and has urgency within her own body. This movie isn't making it out to be like... I mean, obviously, she's going to be called terrible things like a whore and just talked down to because of this, but... It's her life, it's her body, she takes urgency in the things that she does, and um, this movie, I feel, is also very feminist in the way that it portrays a lot of its themes, as well as, obviously, um, the uh, character that Emma Stone's playing, Bella. Um, yeah, I mean, this movie, to me, it was very hard deciding a best of the year, but this one definitely stood out to me, and is one... That I will not forget for a while. And also Yorgos Lanthimos. If you haven't already. You have to see his movies. Like he does a very good job. When it comes to directing all of his movies. Um, this one's obviously no exception. Um, so yeah. This was 2023. Um, the best and worst. Um, I'm so glad with. How this channel has been going. Um, I love. Seeing that people have been watching. And listening. Um. This is a lot of fun for me to do. Um, obviously, we're going to do, be doing a lot more of these next year. I'm hoping to have something fun come out for that 100th episode whenever that happens soon. Um, but thank you so much for everybody who's been supporting this channel. It means so much, and I am so, so happy that um, you guys like listening as much as I love making these. Um this is something that I get very excited to do. Um, it makes me want to go mo to the movies even more than I already do. And it makes me branch out and see certain movies that sometimes I want to go and see. But um, I end up actually really enjoying. So I do really appreciate that. And I hope everybody has an absolutely amazing New Year's. Um, this has been a tough year for a lot of people. Um, in all honesty, it hasn't been the greatest year for me either. But um, doing these has been an absolute highlight of my year. And um, something I'm very proud of. Um, so thank you to everybody who's listened. And um, I really appreciate each and every one of you. This has been Kyle Talks. This, um, Yeah, this has been 2023. Um, looking forward to what we have to do in 2024 and I will see you in the new year. Bye.